welcome to Christ for You, a podcast of RCA Lutheran Church and School, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Pastor Andrew Packer. Today I have Pastor Tim Norton on with me. Pastor Tim Norton and his family, including his wife Heidi and two children, serve the Navajo Nation, the largest native nation both in terms of population and area, more than 25,000 square miles, bigger than the size of West Virginia. Prior to taking his ministry position with Lutheran Indian Ministries in 2013, Pastor Norton served as a missionary in Guinea, Africa. Pastor Norton's ministry work is housed at Shepherd of the Valley Church, Navajo, New Mexico, which is a part of our Four Corner Circuit. Pastor Norton has really turned things around in Navajo. When I first arrived here in Pagosa, and before he was at Shepherd of the Valley, there was talk of shutting down the work on the reservation completely, but now there's a thriving ministry in that place. Thank you for joining me today, Pastor Norton. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. So um, I am married with two children. Um, my wife, Heidi, uh, we met in college, and uh, this summer we're going to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Congratulations. My, hey, thanks. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited for that. And uh, um, my son just graduated from high school. He's 18 years old. His name is Philip, and then my daughter is a freshman, well, finished her freshman year of high school, and uh, is going to start uh, her sophomore years. Um, her name is Leslie, and she will turn 15 on Thursday. Oh, nice. I've got one turning 13 on Sunday and one turning 15 here in July, so. Hey, same age. Yeah, and that's my oldest boy, so we'll have to talk later about that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Arranged marriages. Yes, there we go. <laughs> uh, I've had um, several members ask how you guys are doing down there since you are in one of the hardest parts of the country for the coronavirus pandemic. Um, so how are you and your family and your members doing through all this? Well, uh, praise God. I mean, we don't want to minimize the suffering of anyone else uh, uh, by saying, you know, we're all safe. But but. Fortunately, uh, well, in God's gracious provision, uh, none of us, none of the congregation members have uh, been affected by the virus. Um, they're all healthy. Um, uh, you know, uh, it, it certainly has slowed everyone down. And the Navajo Nation um, has taken some pretty strict measures, like they have curfews on the weekend. Um, from Friday evening till Monday morning, you're not supposed to leave your house at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, not everybody's following that to the letter. It's pretty hard to enforce. But yeah. at the same time, you know, if you are caught, like, driving um, uh, on a weekend and you and you don't have a work excuse or an emergency, then they can fine you. And they have, they have cited quite a few people uh, for doing that. But nobody in our congregation and... And uh, the only kind of shoestring connection is a, a kind of a, a nephew uh, of one of the people uh, who had it, but also recovered. Oh, okay. So, well, that's so good we're to thankful hear. for that. Now, I've read some articles and I've seen a few things on, on some speculation on why the Navajo Reservation has been hit so hard. But I'm wondering, given your connections there and... Um, you know, having your members down there and all of the, your church there. Do you have any of your own ideas why you think maybe the reservation's been hit so hard compared to some other places, even in New Mexico or 
right across the border here in Colorado, it's not nearly as bad as, you know, just a few hours from here. I'm wondering if you have any ideas why that may be. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but the uh, it started uh, at a at a church gathering. I mean, you know, the infection spread uh, through a church gathering um, in a place about 250 miles north of north and west of uh, where our church is, and um, I think it spread easily because. Uh, Navajos tend to uh, not live um, in a, in a nuclear family type unit. Yeah, most yeah. most of them live more um, with you know grandparents. Maybe maybe three generations in one home. Um, you know, it, that's pretty normal. Uh, grandparents, the parents, and then the grandchildren. Um, yeah, so so I think I think that's probably one of the main causes of the spread. Also. Um, Poor hygiene, you know, a lot of people um, uh, don't have running water, although that's not necessarily our community. You hear that a lot on the news. Yeah, yeah. No running water, but everyone in our particular town does have running water, and then even some of the people out in the the outskirts of town do too. So so that's not necessarily a factor in, in our own little corner of the reservation, but of course, you know the reservation is huge. It's it's uh it's bigger than um, the state of West Virginia. It's twenty seven thousand square miles. So um, there's a lot of isolated places that don't have running water, and and uh, you know the the poor hygiene there would account for the spread. Yeah, and um, people uh for until um, I'd say maybe about. A month and a half ago, weren't taking it that seriously as well. Oh, okay. You know, there were no masks in public and things like that. That that's all changed now, um, but uh, that's the way it was. Well, thank you for that. That's that's helpful, I think, too. And it's interesting that you said your area hasn't been at hit as hard, or even no members from your church or anything like that. And um, it sounds like maybe the the running water is a big. You know, it's obviously speculation on our part, but um, from what I've read, that seems to make sense from the articles I read from experts in the field. They, they said that was one of the big issues. So it's interesting that your area has running water and is not as hit as hard, whereas these places that don't have been hit quite hard. So um, thank right. you for that. Uh, you served overseas um, from your bio that I read um, in Guinea, Africa, um, before, mm-hmm. before working with the Navajo. How did your work overseas help prepare you for your current situation? And they're obviously not identical, but it seems like the cross-cultural aspects of it at least probably play in some. For sure, yeah. That, that would probably be uh, the number one thing is um, understanding that the hearers, you know, have a different worldview um, than, than myself or, you know, what I grew up with and, and trying to uh, understand their worldview um, you know, as I uh, present the gospel to them, uh, um, not that the gospel changes at all, but uh, that you know their understanding of it uh, is is uh, colored by their own you know experiences and and uh, uh, worldviews. Um, so yeah, that that was a good um, preparation. I think also um, spiritual warfare. Um, 
which of course is you know prevalent in our own uh, American society <laughs> too, uh, but uh, uh, is very prevalent on um, when uh, the gospel of Jesus come in comes into um, a place where Satan has a very big stronghold, and that was that's the way it was in Africa and the way it is here too. Now, I want to go back to something you said just a second ago, because that was a really important point. Sometimes you hear people talk about their context as far as ministry, and that becomes an excuse to kind of change the gospel message or to water it down or or something like that. Whereas what you're talking about is understanding where your people are coming from, the worldview they have, the way they see things, the way they hear things, so that you can better clearly communicate the gospel, not with changing it or watering it down, but just so you're aware of what maybe are possible hurdles or possible things that maybe will get the message jumbled in their own minds if you're not careful with how you say what you need to say, correct? Correct, yeah, that, that's exactly right, yeah. Um, you, you know, uh, Paul, uh, people use this kind of, uh, example a lot, and and it, it's it's an example that you can take, but you know only so far. It, it, it's not we let all scripture you know inform us, and we don't just take one little part of scripture and say that's that's the most important one. But but uh, uh, Paul in Athens at the uh, Areopagus, um, you know uh, he he presented the gospel to them, and he announced judgment to them, uh, so he didn't change the content of the message, you know, he talked about Jesus uh, being resurrected, uh, so, so there's both law and gospel in his um, message to them, but it was also uh, using terms that, you know, they were, he, uh, he says, here I see you have an altar to an unknown God, and um, um, I'm going to explain to you who that is. So the idea is, you know, uh, not necessarily that they, well, in fact, they didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know uh, who God was, but uh, there was, um, yet, there there was a, uh, shall we say, footprint, uh, even though uh, they didn't know who God was. So, there, you know, there are ways of um, kind of bridging the gap uh, to the, to the hearers. I don't know if that's making sense. I'm kind of talking around in circles. No, I think I think that's helpful. I, I think that sometimes it's easy, especially I think for those of us who, you know, I think most American contexts, as far as whether we're in the country or the city, because of globalization and the internet, the people really aren't that different. I mean, sometimes we talk as if there's a huge difference between rural America and cities, and there are differences. But in the way people think, there's really not that huge of differences anymore because of, you know, globalization. Whereas when you're on the Navajo Reservation where you're at, there's quite a different culture that's there, that's a subculture of America that's very independent and unique from what most of us deal with. And I, I think there are challenges with that that are different than than what many of us um, are facing, you know, in our right. in our situation and whether it's in a rural town like Pagosa Springs or whether it's in big city like New York, there are differences. And I don't want to say there aren't any, 
But I mean, the people are all watching the same television shows and listening to the same music. <laughs> so, right. so there's, there's, right. they all, they all have kind of the same mindset when it comes to those things. So no, I think that's, that's very helpful the way you explain that. I do want to ask more about the spiritual warfare, but I think that might be related to my next couple of questions. So um, okay. I'll save it. And if I, if it doesn't come up, I'll, I'll circle back to it. But what is the culture of the Navajo reservation like since we're just discussing the the cultural differences, what is what is a culture like? How do they think and see the world that's different from from a, the average American? Yeah, well, so interestingly enough, um, they have a culture that's uh, actually some something like uh, the Athenians in that they're very religious. Um, uh, not exactly like the Athenians, though. That you can't take that comparison too far. But uh, that they do. Things in terms um, of spirituality, maybe a lot more than than uh, the average American would. Uh, and they don't uh, their traditional religion. They don't call it a religion. They just call it the Navajo way. Um, it's just like the way of being. And um, it is kind of broadly what we might call animism. Um, you know, belief that. Uh, Natural things like mountains, uh, trees uh, have a, a soul, or not not exactly a soul, but a power or a force uh, behind them. Um, so, so the idea is to kind of be able to w- w- their main value. They call it hojo, uh, and it means harmony, and and to try and be in harmony with all of these forces. Like you, you have to set the um, record straight almost like you, you have to uh, be just you got to you got to act certain way you got to do things just right and so uh, otherwise uh, bad things will happen to you which is also you know like a kind of a very uh, you almost might say that's a, all human religion is is that sort of way you know quid pro quo you you do things this way and things will work out well. You do things the other way, and you know bad things are going to happen to you. Um, so the, yeah, that's that's really their their orientation. There's there's I mean, and that that informs a lot of uh, all their other practices. Um, is that so, like? Is it so? I did a bunch of reading this last year on on ancient Near Eastern religions around uh-huh. Israel, and it seemed like. One of the major differences, I mean, there are a lot of differences, but but one big difference that really separated Israel from the other religions was all the other religions were always constantly trying to figure out what their God wanted, their gods wanted, because they couldn't, they didn't have any clear word from their gods, so they had to just right. make it up as they went along. Is that kind of like for them, like they don't always know why something goes bad or good, so then they have to try to figure it out, kind of divine it from, you know, their circumstances or omens or whatever it may be to figure out. Well, I did this and it went well. Therefore, that was the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, or is or is it more of a set kind of? No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Uh, that that's um, uh, so. What they would do? Um, so suppose you you did get COVID uh, as a traditional Navajo. Now uh, you may because because there is a lot of uh, overlap with uh, Western culture. You may still go to the hospital and do what you know, what every other American might do. But in addition, or maybe even instead of going to the hospital, you would do uh, a 
ceremony. Uh, they call it a sing because uh, you get a singer to to sing for you, and um, they would perform this ceremony to set things back in balance. So yeah, that's exactly it. Like um, something went wrong, we got to figure out what it is, and then we'll get back to the hmm. the right state of things. Now, I, I guess that would tie in then this animism, this belief in kind of spirits all around you within everything would tie in then directly with what you're talking about with this, the spiritual warfare aspect of it with demons and other things that are going to be prevalent in that kind of setting, or at least, um, as you said, it's not that we don't have them. It's just that where you're at, it's more on the surface. As I tell my people right. all the time, it's not that we're not dealing with demons all the time here. I mean, just look around you. Abortion is demonic, right? right. Meth use is demonic. It's self-destructive in ways that you can't even ma- imagine. These things are demonic, but it's not as in-your-face demonic as like in these cultures where animism is very prevalent. Um, describe some of what that's like as far as the spiritual warfare aspect of it. Well, um, you know, oh boy, it's, it's pretty thick. Uh, I mean, because there are people who are just blinded you know, uh, by these things, and and they, um, Jesus talks about you know binding the strong man, uh, and and if, uh, they they are bound by by that strong man, the, you know that strong man is Satan, and um, so yeah, what it's like is is uh, there's uh, often you'll hear of people asking for prayers because they they feel like they're tormented um, by spiritual forces and wow that's <laughs> that's not that common of a prayer request I don't think is it at our saviors <laughs> no no not at all yeah and uh, and then um, a, another way it, it manifests itself is that um, you know people do uh, even even Christians even people who have received you know uh, baptism uh, instruction in the faith they will uh when things go wrong they'll turn to these sort of practices um again kind of to find out you know how they can make things right so yeah uh and and then of course the uh the other thing that has a spiritual element to it although i don't know i would necessarily it it's hard to, you know, put it in a category necessarily of demonic oppression, but uh, it definitely uh, keeps people away from uh, the grace of God, uh, focusing on his word, growing in the faith, uh, and that is um, the drugs and the alcohol around here. I was going to ask, that was going to be my follow-up question after you just said that, Ashley, so I'm glad you brought that up, because I know um, the closest reservation to us is an Apache reservation, just down the road in New Mexico. And mm-hmm. I know that alcoholism there is 30%, according to the Wikipedia article. Um, and the general population is 2%, you know? Yeah. I mean, so that's 15 times as high, which, right. you know, a lot of times I think people want to try to link it to genetics or, or other things like that. But I think even just from what you said, it seems like perhaps underlying that the bigger issue Whatever other issues may be involved, and I don't want to negate other issues, but it seems like there's a spiritual issue at the root of the, the alcohol and drugs on these reservations as they're trying to deal with things that are outside of their control. Um, yes, and hopelessness. 
too. Right? Yeah, that uh, drives you to despair. No. Sorry, I, I missed what you said there. But it drives you to despair, right? It's, yeah, yeah. You have you can't figure out how to fix it, and everything just seems to be going wrong. And you're in a system where you're trying to achieve harmony, as you said, in their minds. How do we get things to be balanced and, and harmonious in our lives? But nothing seems to work, and you have no other options. And so, you know. Drugs and alcohol provide a way out, a, a way of escape from from this cycle of feeling like I can't escape this. And then, you, of course, you're in another cycle um, that's just as bad, if not worse. But it seems like they're intimately related um, to each other. Yes. Yeah, I think they are. I think they are related to each other. I mean, at the root cause is the hopelessness. And, uh, and so... Um, and then, like you said, it does create all these other problems. <laughs> uh, so, so a lot of the people that we've encountered here have um, suffered um, uh, domestic violence um, or other forms of abuse, and, and most of it is related to drug and alcohol use. Now, so I mean, it sounds like we've covered two some of the challenges that you're facing um, as we discussed all that. So I guess yeah. maybe skipping to my next question, how are you dealing with or meeting those challenges? How do you as a pastor in your church, how are you trying to step in and and meet those very difficult situations that are all around you? Yeah, well, uh, in a number of ways, although you could really just say preach the gospel. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's the heart and soul of it all, because I, Jesus is... The, uh, the only one that does give us peace, right, and harmony. I, uh, in fact, uh, there is some parallel. They're not exactly the same, but but uh, this idea in the Old Testament of shalom, um, the the word that we sometimes translate as peace, but it, it's you know it's much more than that. It's it's wholeness. It is uh, a right relationship with God, but a, re- a right relationship with other people too, based off that. Uh, right relationship with God, a you know, a righteousness by faith. Um, so that I mean, that is really like what people are, in fact, searching for, and Christ is there to give them that. I mean, he uh, he says he gives us peace, not as the world gives, but a real and, and lasting peace. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean. It all boils down to gospel proclamation, but a, a, a kind of a method we use for that, specifically dealing with these problems of uh, cyclical abuse, uh, is um, a uh, program we call, um, it's, program's not even the right word, but a, um, a way of address that is uh, uh, a, a a way to gather people together, we call it uh, Beauty for Ashes, and, and it was um, developed by a counselor. And, you know, basically what you do is you, you go and you identify where all these things started in your life. And in in a, uh environment that, you know, people aren't going to gossip um, about these things because they're obviously very sensitive. And, uh, um, and then... It's kind of amazing, you know, just the, the fact of talking about it. It, it goes a long way toward, um, you know, identifying the root of this problem and um, um, making better choices. 
it seems like within that context, then uh, private confession absolution would be um, an intimate part of that. Then as they, you know, talking about these things, getting these things out loud and addressing them as sin and then having them. It is a huge part of it. It is the the biggest part of it. I mean, yeah, uh, to, to just, I mean, that's the first step, right? To, to actually identify the, you know, where this all started kind of in your life. And then to hear the words of absolution after that, um, that God has separated you from this sin as far as the East is from the West is, uh, I mean, it's just amazing to see, you know, the gospel in action right there. Uh, people uh, at tears of joy when, when they hear those words. Um, so, so that, yeah, that, that is, uh, um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, that is probably, again, uh, th- it all boils down to gospel proclamation. That's where, you know, the power comes from. That's where the change happens. Um, but it, you know, we use a few, um, uh, uh, methods to get there. And you also, um, as far as on the, the mercy side of things, which goes hand in hand with that gospel proclamation, you're also, giving food and, and blankets and things like that, because as you mentioned, it's, it's a poor area overall, correct? Yeah, we um, have been so blessed by um, so many donors, because um, our congregation, unfortunately, is too poor to be able to do these acts of mercy on their own. Um, we're, we're working toward that. We're getting, we're getting a little bit better about um, uh, people giving and, uh, and supporting you know, the church and, and her, her work. But, um, but for the most part, we're dependent on donors, uh, from the outside to, um, in fact, our saviors gave us quite a very generous gift for our Christmas boxes. That's a big, uh, thing we did at Christmas time. Um, uh, widows and orphans, uh, delivered, um, uh, boxes of, uh, turkeys and canned foods and, uh, coffee, kind of just supplies, but a, a few gifts in there as well. Um, and uh, then during this pandemic, we've been doing that too. We've uh, canned foods, uh, toilet paper, and um, some congregations have gifted us with Walmart gift cards, so we've distributed those as well. Do you find that, I was just thinking about this as you were talking about that, do you find that these acts of mercy in any way help give you a hearing Partially because, I mean, you are a, a white man ministering on a Indian reservation. We all know the, you know, the tensions and, and even currently, I mean, I, I hear it too sometimes even around here, some of the, you know, racist attitudes of people towards Native Americans. Um, and also I know there's kind of the reverse feelings the other way, just because of the history sure. there. Um, so do you yep. find that these acts of mercy help show that, hey, I, I actually care about you and we're, we're here for you. I'm here for you. Do you find that that helps in any way with the gospel proclamation as far as giving you a hearing? Yes, it does. Um, you know, I, I think the first few years here uh, <laughs> were a lot uh, building trust. And, and it was doing things like that, you know, um, showing that uh, you know, I care for the whole person. And, and not just, you know, me. It's actually God. <laughs> God cares for the whole person. and. Uh, you know, I'm I'm his servant here, I'm his representative, um, 
and so you know I'm, I'm going to show that to you as well so uh, yeah there I mean it is true there is a lot of uh, tension between um, natives and non-natives um, but uh, you know the Lord created us all and and <laughs> I none of those things are impossible for him <laughs> a lot of times we look at that and think ah uh, you know you can't go any any further than that but but uh for for the lord that's that's easy stuff well especially i mean when someone stays there as long as you have it it gives you a chance to build that trust and for the, the lord to use even your longevity there um in ways that you probably couldn't foresee you know during this first few years of struggle but now you've been there long enough that people realize you're not just gonna pick up and leave because it's a hard place to minister um and so the lord is using you and working through you they can see the love of god in that and they also see that god's faithfulness in that too that he's not going to abandon them either you know because sometimes that can happen we churches go into a place it gets hard and they abandon them and the people feel like well god's abandoned us too um so Anyways, that's just some random. Yeah, no, I, I think it's difficult for people to separate, you know, people's actions from God's actions. Right, exactly. And and and, and you know, some of that is, is good and proper, isn't it? <laughs> right, yes, absolutely. So um but but others, you know, we have to realize that, well, uh, we're, we're human beings and you know, we're all sinners and fallible and, and it's only God who's good. Right. God's ultimately the only one you can trust in. Um right. For those things, are there any um any things that we haven't talked about in, in these regards with the challenges or, or mean those challenges that that you wanted to address further? Um, well, one of the the big challenges that I was kind of tasked with that I I haven't um really gotten very far with is um identifying someone who could serve as a uh, uh pastor. Or perhaps even a deaconess, or or a director of Christian education, or something like that. Um, I mean, you know, pastor would be wonderful, and that that would be kind of the ultimate goal. And I, I still, I would love. I, I haven't given up on that, you know, idea or goal. It's just much easier said than done. Also, well, something we can be praying for then that you can find some people that you can train up for those things, yeah. right? Yeah. Are there any uh, books or resources you would recommend that would help someone who does want to maybe bring the gospel to Native Americans in our area? You know, we're we're here on the border of New Mexico and Colorado, and there's quite a few Native Americans in the area. Um, are there are there any things that you would say? Hey, this is a good resource for how to understand, you know, some of the issues you've talked about, some of those things. If if you want to reach out, so um, I uh, we past two summers and uh it was a plan for this summer although it looks less and less likely as time goes on uh we've had uh interns serve here from uh, concordia university in irvine and i've given them a, a reading list uh you know before they arrive and uh i can uh, forward that on to you if you're interested i uh, um it, the the long and the short of it is that um the books that I gave them, some of them are, <laughs> they're not G-rated. They're, uh, you know, they, they um, delve into um, 
cycles of abuse and things like that. And others um, are written more uh, from a native perspective on their religion. So um, those aren't necessarily um, so so explicit about the the sin of man as much as they are. Uh, well, uh, you know, definitely things that that may uh, challenge. Our, I mean, they're they're uh, contradictions to the Christian faith. I mean, they're they're obviously not uh, what we would believe, teach, and confess. But um, uh, then uh, there's others that are written. Most of the Christian literature would be written from like an evangelical perspective. There's there's very almost non-existent um, Lutheran uh, um, literature on Native American uh, ministry. So maybe I need to work on that. Maybe I need to write something. But <laughs> there you go. It's something else for you to do you don't in have your free time. Very much. <laughs> so, but in uh, any case, in, in any case, I'll pull that list up here real quick as we're talking. And um, I'm sorry, I should have had it at the ready. Um, but I can find it pretty easily because... I, yeah, and if you send that to me, I'll send it out with this interview when I send it out to the congregation. and Okay. Uh, so those that are interested can follow up with that. I'm interested myself, so I'll be yeah. one of the ones looking at uh, it. Well, and, <laughs> and also, so this is a little bit um, uh, general native stuff, but it's also some specific Navajo stuff. So the first one on there is a book called you don't have to say that you love me, and that one is is a tough read, and it's not uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's by an author called uh, Sherman Alexi, and he is not Navajo; he's from the Pacific Northwest. Um, but it, it talks a lot about his very sad childhood. Um, the next one is actually this fellow went to a Lutheran seminary. He did not uh, finish his graduate work there. He went on. But he is not a, an Orthodox Christian. His name is Vine Deloria Jr., and he wrote a book called God is Red. And um, there's another one. Uh, this is a very kind of interesting... I, I mean, it's a, it's a syncretistic religion between um, a traditional uh, Navajo... Well, not Navajo, but a native kind of worldview and uh, Christianity. It's called the NAC. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. So it stands for Native American Church, and it's it is um, yeah they they affirm some things that we do. Uh, they in fact say the the Lord's Prayer, and they have a, a baptism service, and they uh, read sometimes from Scripture, but they have a lot of other practices that are not <laughs> scriptural. Um, but uh, so it's a biography about um, uh, this. Uh, guy that was involved in it. I met his son here on the Navajo Reservation. So it's called Reuben Snake, Your Humble Serpent. Um, and uh, then there's one, um, it's a kind of a, I, I'm, I'm saying all these names, but they're probably going to sound kind of meaningless on this podcast. But um, anyway, uh, uh, it's called Navajo Witchcraft by uh, Clyde Cluckhorn, and he's an anthropologist. And see, so there's another uh, thing about spiritual warfare, is that uh, one of the things that they uh, believe strongly in is witchcraft. 
Um, then there's I've got a couple of history ones on there. Um, Code Talker, Jeff Inez. Um, you're familiar with Code yes, Talkers? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's a biography of uh, one of them. And then The Blood and Thunder. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. That's older. I mean, you know, from an older part of their history. That's from um, uh, the uh, era of the frontier kind of war and uh, American expansion in the Southwest. And uh, it, it kind of focuses a lot on um, Carson. Um, but it's very interesting, very interesting uh, read. And then here's uh, one that's an evangelical author. He um, and you know, so th- there's there's a lot of straw in these, right? It's it's not all uh, wheat. Um, it's called One Church, Many Tribes, and it's by a man named Richard Twist. Passed away uh, a couple years ago, but he was a native uh, Christian, but an evangelical. And then uh, one more. Um, uh, uh, anthropological one, and this actually, even though this is uh, the Apaches and the Navajos are really basically one people with a kind of different dialects of the same language. Okay. Um, they, uh, yeah, so the, um, their creation myths would be pretty similar uh, one to another, and this is uh, called Dine Bahane, the Navajo creation story. So again, you know, it's it's not uh, things that we're going to affirm as Christians at all, but it will definitely help um, a person understand, you know, where where the natives are coming from. Um, and then I have uh, a film on there too, uh, which isn't all that easy to get a, your hands on, but it's <laughs> it's actually a documentary of a family that uh, we have evangelized. Oh wow. Uh, Post this film, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this film was made. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, 2011 or something like that. So it was before I got here. But um, it's called Up Heartbreak Hill, and it was a documentary done by um, uh, a PBS, uh, you know, documentary team or something like that. Great, thank you for that. That list that'll be helpful, and uh, I'll definitely pass that on to everyone. Now, you've mentioned before in conversations with me are the possibility of starting some kind of classical school there for the kids. Has that gotten anywhere? Have you been able to do anything with that? I mean, unfortunately, I, I uh, hate to say it, I was, uh, but we're, we're um, negative progress on that right now with the coronavirus. Well, yeah, yeah. Right now is probably, probably not much going on with it. I just didn't know if you had put anything... Um, if any was well, in the works, or if you're still hoping to do that, or the the uh, yes, uh, the the shorter answer is yes. We're still hoping to um, you know make that happen eventually. Um, but but um, one of the things we need to work on is um, some local ownership of it. Um, uh, and there there is uh, there is interest, um, but you know turning that interest into action is, is the challenge. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get a, um, and, and again, this is totally hampered by the coronavirus, but uh, I'm trying to get um, a committee of people who will, you know, uh, help make uh, governance decisions and be responsible for uh, some of the administration of it. Make sure that it, uh, you know, will we'll continue. Um uh, more than just a little while. 
Good. That's good to hear. What are some ways that members of our church or other people who might stumble upon this and listen um, can support your church and your ministry down there? Well, number one, of course, is prayer. Um, and, um, yeah, please please do pray uh, that um, God would raise up workers in his harvest field, that there would be uh, a person or persons who would be willing to serve as a pastor um, or uh, vocationally in the church. Um, Are you the only Lutheran pastor on the entire reservation? The only LCMS one, yes. Okay. Uh, there, there is a uh, Wisconsin Synod church in Farmington, New Mexico, that has, they used to have a uh, uh, Navajo-only church, but they kind of merged with uh, the Anglo church. And you actually know the pastor. That's uh, that's Jeff. Yes, yes. And um, and then there's an ELCA, uh, which I'm not sure if you can call Lutheran, but and anyway, um, they're they're um, in a town called Rock Point, Arizona. They actually were the beginning, the first ones uh, here on the reservation. Um, and yeah, they were, they started in the mid fifties, and then they uh, of the Missouri Senate in the late sixties. Nineteen sixty eight is when the first missionary came to uh, Navajo, New Mexico. So yeah, that's it for the Missouri Senate. It's just this one uh, one spot for a place of twenty seven thousand square miles. Yeah, so there's definitely a great need there for two train up pastors, so you can plant other churches throughout the the Navajo Nation and in the surrounding yeah. area for sure. Yeah, I mean it's a wide open harvest. <laughs> I mean it's it's huge, and and even small small towns um, where it doesn't even look like there's necessarily a town has churches. So um, yeah. There is a, a spiritual hunger, and, and unfortunately, the main kind of thrust of Christianity on the reservation is Pentecostalism, which, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's false teaching, it's, um, and uh, it, it's unfortunately also kind of a no gospel at all in, in many, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's teaching people uh, to trust in something other than Jesus. And so not giving them that, that peace there, that harmony they're looking for anyway, it right. ends up in another cycle of legalism or some other thing that's not ultimately going to help them in the long run. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's the problem. Um, so yeah, the, the prayers, uh, are, are very, very much needed. Um, Volunteer teams are great too. That's a great way to serve, and I I know that um, you know you guys have talked about coming and doing that, and obviously this summer is probably not going to work out. But um, not looking like know, it. Other, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> other other um, times of the year can happen as well. But you know, um, and, and of course another summer can can also happen. But um, uh, um, you know sometimes. Uh, what we need, you know, for certain things is, is expertise. You know, if, if there's somebody who's, uh, 
note, like, for example, there's a member of the church who has a uh, porch that's falling apart right now, and um, we're going to try to help him with that. And uh, So, you know, someone who has that kind of construction knowledge and expertise is, you know, uh, solicited. But uh, other times it can just be someone who's willing to spend time with people. Because um, uh, a lot of times... Um, <laughs> What uh, people here need is just to know. Um, we kind of mentioned this earlier, you know. Uh, their their impression of God is connected to the people that they've known in their lives, and and all the people they've known in their lives have rejected them and, and uh, treated them miserably. And so, you know, someone who just listens to them and um, cares for them that that goes a long way to showing them who God is. Great. Well, thank you for taking time to do this today. I really do appreciate it. And I think um, all those who listen will get a lot out of this. So thank you for taking your time to do this today. It has been my pleasure. Thank you very much for um, arranging this. I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing a podcast and so thankful for you too, for all you uh, do there at your congregation, but also in our circuit and just what a very energetic proponent of the gospel you are. Well, thank you for that, and um, I feel the same towards you. It's been it's been great working with you the last um, I don't know is it seven years now almost? How long have you yes. been down there? Seven yes, years. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, I got here in 2013. So yeah, this is my seventh year here. Right. We're, we're both getting old. Um, <laughs> that's what that tells me. Uh, all right. Well, blessings on your day. God bless you too. Yeah, thank you for the call. All right, we'll talk to you again. Thanks for listening to Christ for You. Blessings on your day.